Hi, it's Andy, and welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. Our hope is that this will help your life and inspire your faith. Thanks again for checking us out. Before we jump in, uh, Paul says this. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. The whole um, example of New Testament Christianity is that somebody goes first. They live following Jesus. They put Jesus first in their life, and we get to learn from their mistakes. We see them when they fall. We see them when they get back up. We see them when they uh, trust God. We see them when they risk, and it gives us confidence to follow God, too. And so that's what Andy and Victoria have done, so I think we ought to just put our hands together and say thank you for them. Come on. All right. Now, Andy told me, Andy told me, I did not make this up. Okay, Andy told me that I could make myself at home. Is that okay, everybody? All right. If you're, uh, if you're new to Hills, you don't know uh, Sarah and I. Um, this is my wife, Sarah, by the way. Would you like to just wave at everybody, tell everybody hi, come on? Um, she is definitely the smart one, the beautiful one, and anything good in my life comes through her, everybody. Uh, here's what I know about Hills. Here's what I know about you. Uh, God has something more for you in the future than you've experienced in the past. And one of the things uh, that I've learned, I'm 44, 45 now, see? Technology dates, whatever. This is why Andy and I get along so well, everybody. Uh, here's, what, here's what I know. Um, when you're younger, there's a, a, a real danger of telling older people what to do. Have you learned this in your life? When somebody younger tells you what to do, you go, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, son. I've been around the tree a few times. And here's, here's what I know. As you follow God, uh, you learn something. Uh, that has to be at the center of your life. And so I want to talk to you today just for a few moments about the idea of learning to trust God as your source. And if you get a hold of this idea and you leave here today understanding this idea better, it will change Monday morning for you. It'll change Wednesday night for you. It'll change your job. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your family. But what I want you to hear today is not just some message from an American or even just... Uh, uh, something that we have to do on Sunday morning because, well, what else are we going to do? I don't know. We're going to go to church and we're going to listen to some guy talk about Jesus. Uh, what I want you to hear is that God brought you here this morning to understand that there's supposed to be a battery pack at the center of your life powering everything. And if you get a hold of what this battery pack is and you understand what's supposed to be at the heart of who you are, it will change everything about the way you live. It will change how you hear Andy say, what if we prayed for a new building? It'll change what happens in your heart. It'll change everything about the way you see life if you get a hold of this one idea. So if you have a Bible, so they asked me if I had Bible verses and I wanted to put them up on the screen. I told them no, and here's why. Um, I want you to have a Bible. So here, here's, here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you don't have a Bible, but you want one, come tell me. I'll give you one. Uh, if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible in your life, in your home, get one. Uh, if you don't have one, don't have access to one, you just want somebody to buy you one, come tell me. I'll buy you one. If you have your phone, pull it out. Open up the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, uh, you can pretend like you can play you know, um, a game on your phone and pretend like you're on your Bible, all right? Uh, but here's why I say that. The thing I tell our church all the time, I've told my boys this, you will forget what I said today. You will. You will. The research shows you will remember about 5% of what I said today in a year. Isn't that discouraging for a pastor, for a teacher, for a dad, for a parent, a grandparent? You're like, you're not going to remember anything I say, but here's what I know. You will remember 100% of this if you have it in your life. Why? Because you can always go back to it. You can always read it. This will change your life forever. So get it in your life. So if you have a Bible, if you have your phone and you're bold enough to open it up and pretend like you know what you're doing, find, find the book of Jeremiah. If you don't know where that is, 
Open it up right about this much, okay? And, you, and keep flipping, keep thumbing, and you'll find it. If you find Psalms, keep going this way, uh, for you this way, okay? You'll, you'll get there. Jeremiah chapter 17, I want to read a few verses to you, okay? Jeremiah chapter 17 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in humans. God's about to give us two ways to live our life. Okay? One way he says is cursed, one way he says is blessed. When the Bible says something is cursed and something is blessed, what you're supposed to read is not um, like Harry Potter magic, right? It's not like, uh, you know, abracadabra, like, like uh, uh, I'm putting a curse on you. But if you remember, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, if you remember the beginning of the story of the Bible, what happens when sin enters the human story? There's a curse that comes on the whole human experience. What does that curse do? It makes everything hard. Okay? So when the Bible says, cursed is the man, God is not cursing you. God is not cussing you out. There is a reality of life that, that settles on your shoulders that is called a curse. Life gets hard. It's a grind. It's like trying to ice skate on gravel. It just doesn't quite work right. Okay? But Jeremiah is about to give us two possibilities of a way to live, one that's cursed and one that's blessed. The Hebrew word for blessed in the Bible is, it literally means to be envied. When someone looks at your life, when it's blessed, you go, man, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had going on in my life what was going on in their life. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a joy and a source that's coming out of us. So when you read this with me, those are the two ideas that are being talked about. Cursed is the man who trusts in humanity. So this, this difficulty comes when I trust in uh, just what's possible through flesh, through, through my own efforts, okay? And makes flesh his strength. Cursed is the one that makes your ability your strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord and then Jeremiah gets a picture. This happens a lot in the, in, through the Old Testament prophets. They get a picture from God. I love this about God. I don't do real well with libraries and big ideas. My grandfather was an Ivy League professor of engineering, smartest man you ever want to meet. I couldn't talk like he talks or think like he thinks. He's always thinking math equations, talking about, like, I don't think that way. I, I've, I'm a visual learner. Okay, so this is what God does throughout the Old Testament. He gives people pictures. Ah, I know what that is. And here's the picture he gives. He says, the person that trusts in their flesh is like a shrub in the desert. A shrub in the desert is something that grew once, lost its water, yes, lost the rain, lost the moisture, and now it's all alone. It looks alive but it just has the form of life that it once had because it grew out of something. Now it's dry and it's alone. There's no water. There's nothing for its roots to pull from. And this, cursed is the one who trusts in themselves. Yes, they shall not see any good. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited land. When you choose to, when you say, okay, I, my strength, what I can do is the battery power I'm living from says you're going to live by yourself. It's going to feel like you're all alone and life is really difficult. Aren't you glad you came to church? Let's pray and go home, everybody. Uh, but this is not where the story ends. Yes, that's one possibility. But let me give you the other possibility of the way to live. Verse 7 says, blessed is the one. Ah, here's the contrast. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree, verse 8, 
planted by water. What a different picture from a shrub in the desert. The shrub grew once because it once had water. There was once rain, but it's gone. The difference in a life leaning into God as my source, I'm trusting in him, is that I'm a tree planted by a river. What does a tree have that's planted by a river that a shrub in the desert does not have? There's a constant source of water running by it that my roots can grow down into and across into this river, and I'm never without what I need to grow what I'm supposed to grow. And so, he says, it, it's, it sends out its roots by, it, by the stream. Okay, if you're taking notes, just circle that sentence. It sends out its roots by the stream. We'll come back to that. He does not fear when heat comes. Wow. The shrub in the desert is parched and dry and dead. But when heat hits the tree that's planted by the river, it's fine. Bring it on. The sun actually helps me grow. Difficult circumstances don't ruin me. They actually open up a door for me to do something that wasn't possible before. When summer hits, new leaves grow. It's, the sun is not the problem. The heat is not the problem. The economy is not the problem. The government is not the problem. Difficult circumstances in my life, losing my job. Uh, you know, do you say redundancy in, in, in Northern Ireland? Okay, so you say when redundancy hits, it, that, it, that's not the problem. The problem is that either I'm by myself in the desert or I'm connected to a source that can help me thrive even when the sun hits. So I'm not afraid of the heat. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, nor does it cease to bear fruit. Difficult circumstances are not the thing that causes your life to, to, to be crushed or thrive. Good times, uh, an inheritance from a grandparent that passed away, uh, a windfall of money, uh, an improvement in the economy, that's not what causes your heart to be settled and your life to be strong. Those are good when they happen, but that's not what's supposed to be causing my life to be strong. And it says this, the heart, your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things. It'll trick you into, th into picking the wrong one of these two options. It'll trick you into thinking you have to do it by yourself. You're responsible for your own life. You've got to figure this out. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? But, but, but God says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of of his deeds. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just have a few minutes together this morning, but I ask out of these verses that you would help us to see you clearly and follow you boldly. Holy Spirit, in just a moment of quietness, I ask that you would talk to our hearts. Would you do what no human could ever do? Would you take God's word and would you put it like a puzzle piece right where it belongs in our life so that it can grow into what you have for us? We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. When you know how somebody works, when you understand the way that they think, you can follow them. Yes, you can flow with them. Maybe you've discovered this with a boss, when you, somebody you go to work for. Uh, I, Owen and I had a conversation before he came to Hills Church to work with Andy and Victoria. I said, the thing that you need to do above everything else, there's going to be lots of jobs that you have, but the number one thing that you need to do is you need to learn how Andy thinks. 
You need to understand what God's put on his heart. What God, what's, what's God called this church to? What are the needs in the church that we're trying to meet? If you can understand that, then all of the jobs, cleaning out the closet, setting up church, uh, going to meet with somebody, having coffee with somebody, all of the tasks will fall into place if you can understand who he is and how he thinks, yes? Uh, my wife, if I understand how my wife thinks, I can flow with her. That's a pretty good idea, everybody, yes? Like, I, I need to understand her so I can live with her, so I can be a great husband, and so that the greatest woman on the planet doesn't leave me and figure out how, how, how you know, her, her eyes are not open. She does not realize who she's really married to, right? Okay, so when my, my family and I, we were in a, uh, another city, and there was a big group of us, and we were touring the city, and Sarah got separated from the group. And when she gets separated from the group, we're all on our phone trying to find her. Where, where's Sarah at? Where's Sarah at? Where's Sarah at? Uh, we walk into this town square, and there's a big square, thousands of people, all kinds of shops around this town square. When we walk in, you need to know a couple things about my wife. Okay, my, my wife, to understand Sarah, is to understand that uh, she is... Um, Primarily her love, you know what a love language is, everybody? Like a love language is how you receive and give love. Yes, there's five of them classically. We talk about those. My wife's love language is cheese. Okay, so you need to understand that about her. Like to know Sarah, cheese and a true crime podcast, like solving a mystery, she's happy for all day long. Give her cheese a cup of tea and like she's set. Okay, so we walk into this town square, can't find Sarah. She's not responding to the text. I look across this square and one of the shops, the shop owner is put in the, in the window, an oval sign with big block letters that just say cheese. Okay, thousands of possibilities where my wife can be. I know she's in that shop. I said, that's right where Sarah is, everybody. The group could say, how do you know that's where she is? Shouldn't we go in, you know, the, the Louis Vuitton store over here or the, you know, the, no, she doesn't care about any of that. She doesn't care about purses. She doesn't care about hair products. What she cares about is cheese. She's in that cheese shop. Went right across the, the square, opened the door to the cheese shop, and there she is with little toothpicks. She's been sampling cheese, everybody. She's happy as can be. How do I know, how do I know how to go where she is? Because I know her. If you don't understand God and what's at the heart of what God wants to do, you will struggle daily to find him. Where is he? What's he doing? What's he about? Why can't I feel him? Why, why can't I get direction from him? What, okay, and so to, to understand how we flow with these verses we just read, you have to understand what God's big idea was from the very beginning. And if you go back to the book of Genesis, from the very first, in fact, let's just read it. We're just going to have fun. We're just going to flip around our Bible today. Genesis chapter 1, read these verses with me, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. You know the story, yes? God creates all of creation in the first five days. Everything that, is, that you see when you walk out of these doors, the sky, the hills, the trees, he created it, except for you and me. There were no human beings. And this is the end of verse 25. Then God saw everything that he had created. He looked at it and he said, that is good. Yes? God makes good things. You need to know this. When something in your life is struggling and you don't feel like it's right, and you, go, you, you, you circle it in your life and you go, that's wrong. That's not right. Can I tell you, God's not done. Because what God makes is good. So when something's not right, that's, that is a signal that we're not done working with God in that area, okay? He saw that it was good, but then he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over all the livestock and over everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. Verse 28, then God blessed them, puts Adam and Eve right in the middle of this beautiful garden that he's created, and he tells them this. He says, be fruitful 
multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over it. Five things God tells Adam and Eve to do. Fill the earth, multiply it, subdue it, have dominion over it. He says, these are the five things I want you to do. And he goes on to say, if you're, if you're not sure what part of your life I want you to fill and multiply and bring life to, he goes through these next verses, he says everything, every fish, every bird, every tree, every, every, everything that bears seed, everything that bears fruit, every square acre of land, everything, 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 just so that you don't mistake the fact that there are some parts of your life that you're not supposed to fill, They're just, you're just stuck with them. That's just how it is. That's just how my family's always been. That's just how I've always felt. That's just how my marriage has always been. That's just how my kids have always been. That's just how my job has always been. If you're not sure what area of the world God put you in the middle of to multiply, fill, and bring life to, he says everything. Why is that important? Because if you don't understand that from the very beginning, this blessing that God says is possible or this curse that God says is possible has all hinged on your decision on whether or not you're going to partner with God in your life. From the very beginning, God wanted a partnership, so he put people in the middle of, of potential. God didn't put people in the middle of a finished product. He put people in the middle of potential. He said there's potential here. Literally, everything you look, when you, you, see, when you look around this room, everything was here when God made the garden. Everything. It was buried. The fabric on this seat, the phone that you have, literally the digital game you're probably playing right now while you're pretending to be on your Bible app, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it was in the garden. It took people generations to develop it, mine it, find it, bring it out. Somebody had to have the idea there's something buried here. Now, the reason that that matters is because if you look at your life and you see what you have, and you see what you can make, you will miss the next thing that God wants to bring into your life. Because everything that God brings into our life starts as potential. Everything. There is nothing that God gives us as a finished product, including your salvation. Now, when you're saved, you're not working for eternity anymore. Let's make that clear, yes? You're saved, you're born again, your eternity is secure. But the Bible is clear. Just, cre just as in creation... God told Adam and Eve, this is the start. This isn't the finish line. This is just the starting line. There's a whole bunch of stuff for you to do. When you're born again, it's the same way. I'm born again. My life has changed. My heart's changed from the inside out, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that I need to learn, develop. The life of God has to find its way into all of the nooks and crannies of my life, just like the first creation had to, had to spread out over the whole world. So the first creation is a picture of the new creation. I don't know what that would have been like for Adam to walk over a hill and go, oh, wow, the garden ends here. So that means that in this brown dirt where nothing's growing, I've got to take the seeds from the apples and the grain. I've got to plant them over here so the garden can expand. In the same way, what God begins in your life, he wants to spread through everything else that you touch. But it does not happen because God wants it to happen. God did not say, I will fill the earth with the garden. He said, Adam, I started it. Now, now it's your turn. You go to work with me. We're going to fill this whole thing, baby. This whole, this whole thing is going to be beautiful if you will partner with me. Now, here's the hinge point of the whole thing, okay? If I see that God has this plan, 
okay? The first, the first stopping point on the game board following God is to go, okay, okay, so you have, you have a plan for the good life that you want us to be experiencing to fill everything, but I have to work with you to spread it. What that does is it tells me two things at the same time. Number one, it tells me that God wants more for me than I even want for myself. But I am responsible for how far the work of God will go. It will not go further than I can take it. I have to partner with God to take it there. But I can get in a ditch on either side of the road. Or here, I can run into a hedge on either side of the road, yes? Uh, I, I drove the first, first trip out here, Sarah and I hired a car, drove, and Sarah was telling me the entire trip, you are too close. You were too close to my side of the car. You were too close to my side. I said, baby, I'm not used to these narrow roads. I'm trying. And then my son comes over here, better driver than me the entire time he's been driving, by the way. Uh, and uh, he's just driving like a champ. Like, he's like, no, once you get used to it, you're fine. He's flying down these roads. Like, wow, you're just, you're just owning these roads, Okay. If you know how to stay in the middle, you don't run into the stuff on either side. On one side, God, you're my source, so you do it. I'm praying for a miracle. God, pull it off. God, do it. I need you to show up. If that's all I do, that is a good prayer to pray in desperate times. God, I, I am at the end of myself. I need you to show up, and God promises that he will. When someone's in the ICU, when someone has a hip replacement, yes, everybody, like, I, I can pray. God, we've done our part. I need you to do your part. But God is, while God is the God of miracles, from the very beginning, what he wanted us to see is that above being the God of miracles, he is the God of process. Meaning there is a way, a real world way that God works. God is not just off in the universe somewhere as an overwatch, you know, sort of a spiritual force out there somewhere. He's the God of the ground. He's the God of the grain. And he's the God of our, the stuff he's put in our hands. And when we start doing what we can do, then he said, ah, you triggered a process that now will begin to grow stuff all around you. But if you don't start planting, nothing's growing. Just because God wants it doesn't mean it's going to happen unless you start working the process that God's put in your hands. So while God is my source, he's, he is also my partner in the process. If I can understand these two things, then it gives me great faith that God's going to work but it also gives me a, a soberness to say, I have to be at work also. If I'm not at work also, I'm not giving anything for God to work with. So here's what that does in my life. If I believe that, then it allows me to take great steps of faith, believing that if I start, God will finish. A farmer has great faith planting a seed in the ground. Because when that seed goes in the ground, it disappears. And to the, if, I don't know what it would have been like for Adam to plant the first seed. That feels really stupid. Well, what does Jesus say about grain? He says, unless this grain, this piece of grain dies, goes in the ground, is buried, it remains alone. But when it is planted, it's going to produce a harvest. So the farmer knows, yep, I lost that piece of grain. It's true, it's true, I lost it. But because I put it in God's hands and into God's process, it's gonna be multiplied and it's gonna become something that it never would have been had I held on to it. And I want you to take that thought and I want you to apply it 
to the different areas of your life. Certainly it applies to our money, yes. If I just say, God, this is mine, but bless the church. Like, oh, we want a church to grow. Well, there's no farmers. A church full of farmers says, okay, I'm going I'm to honor God with my finances. I'm going to put them in there, and I'm going to trust that God, even though I'm separated from that for a moment, you're going to use that to grow your kingdom and bless my life because I'm putting my finances under your umbrella of blessing. I don't want to be a bush in the desert trying to be, do it on my own. God, I want you to partner with me in my finances. I want you to bless me. So I have to get in your process in order to experience your blessing. As long as I'm just holding on to all of my money and saying, God, bless my money. I'm praying for the God of the miracle, but I'm missing the God of the process. So I've got to put my money under the, the covering of God. I've got, to, I've got to become a percentage giver. I've got to partner with the work of God on planet earth. But the second I do, now my seed, the, 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 the finances of my life are in that process. But it's not just money. It's my, it's my time. It's my generosity. It's the, it's, the, it's the generosity that I live out of. It's the, it's the confidence that I have that when I give my time away, when I encourage someone else, when it is not natural in my family to use words of kindness, when it would be natural to use words of anger or, or, or strife or argument, to instead use words of kindness, what am I doing? I'm putting my words into God's process, and like a seed, it might feel like, ah, ugh, if I don't tell my wife how I feel, I'm going to get taken advantage of. I'm, oh, I'm trusting that process. And the, 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 my words, like seeds, are dying for a moment. They're getting buried by the dirt of the argument. It doesn't feel like much, but you know what seeds of kindness do in strife? They produce a harvest of forgiveness. Babe, I'm, I, I'm sorry we're not agreeing right now. I'm, I'm really frustrated, but I love you, and I, I just want you to know I'm sorry. What am I doing? I'm planting that as a seed. And I'm trusting God, you're the God of the process. Will you use what I'm giving to grow something good? Everything following God starts by trusting God as my source and then using what I have as a seed that goes into his process. So that's my money, that's my time, that's my thoughts. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I, I take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, which means you and I live in a cultural moment where our thoughts are our identity, yes? If I feel it, then I am it. If I feel like a dog, then I am a dog. No, you're not, you just had a thought. What do I do with my thoughts? I take them captive and I put them under Christ, but that taking my thoughts captive feels like a seed. It's like, oh, those thoughts are gonna come back. Yep, and you're gonna have to take them captive again. You're gonna have to take captive that thought of anger, that thought of greed, that thought of lust, that thought of anxiety. You can't, if you want a harvest, what Jeremiah says, like a tree that's flourishing inside your life, you want to be done battling depression, you're going to have to start planting seeds of taking that depression captive. I know it feels small. I know it feels like it's buried by the dirt of all the stuff that's happening in your life, but you've got to start planting those seeds, speaking God's word, asking for help, choosing to have joy when it feels like depression would be better, choosing to get around people when hiding in a corner would be easier, choosing to live a life that is bold when it would be easier to shy away. What are you doing when you do that? You're choosing faith in the process of God. God, you're my source. Now, if you don't understand that God is your source, what I'm talking about will never be possible because every farmer that doesn't understand that when I plant that seed, I'm going to get more seed than the one I put in the ground, if you don't understand that, you're never going to plant the one seed you have. 
We went to Africa not long ago, and when we were in Africa, we were there. To, one of the things we were doing was seeing a place where we had we had given money to build a water well. And when we were there, they were they were just going to open the tap and turn the water well on. So we got to see it. And they said before they, we, we the 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 motor's about to be finished, and they're about to get clean drinking water for the first time. But before we do that, I want us to drive the road. These this, uh, I think it was like a five mile long road that this village had to walk to go to the nearest water source. So we drove that road, and as we're driving that road, we see families, kids, uh, uh, moms carrying water back from, that, from the, the, the well. And you, you've seen probably pictures or video, and they're carrying a lot of times jars on their head or, or plastic jugs in their hands, sometimes both. And as they're walking this water back, they're walking the water that they need for the day back to their, their home. I want you to imagine that I went up to one of those ladies and I said, can I have a drink of water? Wow, that's a big ask, isn't it? I just carried this water five miles, and it's all I have for the day. I don't have much to give you. But if you go to my house, you walk in, you say, oh, man, I've been out, it's hot outside, I've been out, I've been out running, you know, what? Well, can I, Ethan, can I have a drink of water? I wouldn't even, you wouldn't even think twice about it. you say, yeah, absolutely, why? Because your house is connected to a source of water that allows your life to flow in a way that you don't even think about because you're connected to the source, a different source. If you see what you have as only under your ability, you're always going to struggle to give anything into God's process because you're going to go, God, I only have this much. But what does Jeremiah say? If you live that way, if you, if you, if you get under the oppression of that lie, what will happen is you'll live your whole life going, oh, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And here's what it will produce. It will produce bitterness against everybody that you think is robbing you of the little bit of water you have. The government, the mayor, the township, your family, your spouse, you spent too much money on Amazon again. Do you have Amazon over here? Okay, good, I, I think you do, I just wanna make, make sure. Hey, you, you know, you, you, here's another package showing up on our front door. Who's spending all the money? Turn the lights off, turn the fan. Now, you should be frugal, you should be wise with the money you have, yes? If you're not wise with what you have, you can't expect God to give you more. However, if you're living under the oppression of anxiety, you're gonna live here all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. But the second you can unlock the idea that God is my source. Now, everywhere God says to do something, you understand, I'm not just giving that away out of obedience to God. I'm in his process now. So who, if it is God's process, who is responsible for making sure the seed grows? God. Once I plant it, I put that in your process for Adam and Eve, you promised me that if I planted seeds, new trees would grow. You promised me that if I did this stuff your way, the garden would expand. So when I do stuff God's way in God's process, who now becomes responsible for my life? God. What a brilliant way to live. To say, God, you're responsible. So I'm trusting you. I'm believing that you're going to keep your word to my family. I'm believing that if I'm sowing seeds of kindness, I'm going to reap the reward of a healthy relationship. If I'm sowing seeds financially, I'm going to reap a reward. We give first for the kingdom of God to grow, but God promises you give, I'll give back to you, and you can't outgive me. Now, here's, here's the last thought for you. Okay, If God is my source, then here's the picture of my work. Okay, My work, what I do is not to manufacture or manipulate God. 
Okay? I'm not giving to force God's hand. God, you better, t- you better do it because I gave. What I'm doing is I am hooking up like a water hose to the source, saying, okay, every time I work God's process, what it's doing is it's giving God a channel to move from the source into my life. Even though there's a source, if there's no connection, no channel, nothing can move. Okay? Your job is a channel. It's a way that God moves resources into your life. But it's just one channel. This is why we tell our team back home all the time, Americans, I don't know what the, what the normal flow of, of work life is like here, but Americans love to have two days off. We, we, t- we take three if you give it to us, okay? Uh, we, we have a two-day weekend, yes? That's because we adopted the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Sabbath. We said they both sound like a good idea. Let's take them both, everybody. But, but God didn't work five days. God worked six. So five might, five might cause you to have what you need to maintain your life, but six is going to be what causes you to increase. So when you start, so we call it our sixth day. It's a side hustle. When you start a sixth day project in your life, what are you doing? I'm hooking up another channel for God to work through. What I'm doing is I'm trying to hook up as many channels as I possibly can so that God can work. If you understand that God works through channels, but those channels are not your source, here's what you'll experience, and I bet you've already experienced it in your life. There's going to be times where those channels dry up. That's not working like it used to work anymore. First Kings chapter 17, beautiful picture of this. The prophet Elijah says there's going to be a famine. God says, go hang out by the brook Cherith. And I'm going to, I'm going to feed you with the, the ravens are going to bring you food and there's going to be water. Wow, how cool is that? And then the ravens start bringing him food and then the brook dries up. Wait a minute, wait a minute, God. You sent me here. You brought me here. Ah, but is the brook your source? Are the ravens your source or is God your source? God's your source, then when the channel dries up, you go, okay, God, you're my source. Where's the next channel? Where's the next channel? Where's the next channel? I follow you to the next channel. If you want to flow with God, you've got to be a partner with him. But the second you partner with him, here's the promise he makes. All of the good stuff is going to start to flow through the channels that you create. Luke chapter 16 says this, though. If you're faithful in little, be faithful in much. If you're faithful with what belongs to somebody else, God will give you what belongs to you. If you're faithful in something that doesn't seem like it's connected to God's kingdom at all, he'll give you stuff that is connected to his kingdom. But, but Jesus asks this question, who will give to you stuff that's big if you're not faithful with what's small? So all of the good stuff comes from taking the little bit that we have, saying, okay, God, you're my source. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna put this in your hands. And I'm going to trust that as I do, you're going to give me more. You're going to help me see what the next step is. You're going to bring a new channel in my life. Some of us have channels that have dried up with relationships. It's okay. God's your source. That person wasn't your source. God's your source. So who brings the next relationship? God. But just because God wants it doesn't mean it's going to happen. So what do I have to do? Well, Proverbs says, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. So what do I have to do? I have to start sowing seeds of friendship. And sometimes I'll sow seeds of friendship in places where there's nothing coming back. It's like, okay, that's a a closed door. Where's the open door? Where is the relationship that God wants me to have? And I sow seeds of friendship. I go out to coffee. I encourage somebody. What happens? New friendships. You want the church to grow? Guess what? So does God. So does God. Is it going to grow because God wants it to grow? Nope. Wow. So what do we do? We farm. We farm. We farm. We prospect. We get out. We start meeting people. 
start going, hey, God might have something more for you. Ah, okay, closed door. I sow more seeds. I invite more people to church. I get, invite more people over to my house. What am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, what started in the garden of my heart and I'm spreading it all over the whole earth. God is looking for partners. But so often, we're begging God, God, move. God, move. And you should pray that. But you know what the next best prayer is after that? God, you, we want... If God doesn't build a house, they labor in vain who build it, yes? If God doesn't build my life, I'm laboring in vain to build my life. Okay, so God, show me. God, help me build. Okay, great. Now, pop up off your knees and ask this. God, what do I do next? Because when we're praying for a move of God, you know what God's looking for? A move of man. God, yes, great. I want to expand the garden. Thank you, Adam, for praying. God, this garden's so great. Let's get this all up. Yes, but do you remember what I told you? multiply, expand. Okay, and here's the word that God gave Adam, dominion. Okay, dominion is not a super nice word because it sounds like domineering. And the Bible is clear. We don't take dominion over people. We could go into a whole sermon just on that. We don't take dominion over people, but we take dominion over the sphere of influence we have in our life on planet earth. Here's what dominion is. Dominion is every time you cut the hedge on the road. That hedge is going to overgrow the road unless you take dominion over it. I am responsible to tell that hedge where to go. Me. Not God. You know what God's going to do? He's going to bring rain. He's going to make it grow. It's going to keep growing and take over that road unless you trim it back. So what do you have to do in your life? Take dominion over it. You are a partner with everything that God gave you. You are responsible for it. So I am not, no other person on planet earth has been given dominion of my life. Me. I have it. So what do I have to start doing? I have to start looking for the places where hedges have overgrown and things aren't where they're supposed to be. And I have to start working with God. So here's the two pictures. Last thought. So it's not just planting seeds. It's also trimming stuff back and pulling weeds. Okay? So I plant seeds and I pull weeds. This is what it means to garden with God. I have to guard my life and keep some stuff out. Not everything should be, make it in. And some stuff won't happen unless I plant seeds. So I'm looking always in my life. God, what doesn't belong, I should be taking out. Sometimes the next thing God wants to do in your life is on the other side of subtraction. Sometimes it's taking something out. Stop do that. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Other times it's on the other side of planting seeds. God, where do you want me to plant? Where do you want me to plant? Where do you want me to plant? I am a farmer. I plant seeds. I water them. But it is God who makes things grow. And when we do what we can naturally, God promises to be our source and do everything we cannot do supernaturally. So my prayer for you, my prayer for this church, is that it would grow, that your life would grow, that the life of God would grow in you, that there would be increase, that we would see stuff expand, there'd be new fruit, new leaves, new height on the trees, new crops growing, all of that happening. But if I don't understand that God is my source, but I am his partner, we'll never do the part that we can do. Here's what happens to a group of people or a family that doesn't understand these two things. They stop trying. And where you stop farming, there will be no harvest. So farm. Oh, farm like eternity depends on it. Farm like the Northwest of Ireland depends on it because we are, we are his partners. And honestly, the paradise of God, the blessed life of God can grow right here if he finds more people that will jump in the tractor go to work with him. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, we're so thankful for the few minutes that we've had together. And I just pray just this morning, Lord, in a moment of quiet reflection, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in our lives the way that only you can? 
may your word be a seed planted in our hearts. Would it produce something that lasts and fruit that remains? John 15, Jesus, you said, apart from you, we can do nothing. So we're depending on you. We're not working and toiling and laboring on our own. We're asking you, would you show us how to work the best ways to find real life? I pray for grace on the people of Hills Church. Lord Jesus, as your people take new steps this week and trust you in new ways, would you pour out a blessing? Would you confirm on their life that they're doing the right things? Would supernaturally there be things in their life that happen in ways that they can't explain, that they can only point to you and say, God is with me. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for the real life that you promise us if we'll go to work with you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, thanks again for checking out the Hills Church podcast. Hey, if this message has inspired or encouraged you in any way, why don't you share it with a friend? Hey, as well as that, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Waterside Theatre, and we'd love to see you at one of our services. But hey, thanks again for checking out the podcast. Why don't you subscribe to our channel?